Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Good evening. Thank you for joining us tonight for Jesus Christ Ministries Global Bible Study. We're located at the Waldorf West Branch Library in, in Waldorf, Maryland, and we're located within group, small group study three. Uh, if you're joining us by talk show tonight, we welcome you and thank you for doing so. Um, for the past four months now, we have been teaching on Jesus Christ, who he is. Uh, this is a series that the Lord has placed upon my heart to finister uh, on. Um, initially, we spent about seven so I think we're running about uh, uh, the same here, about uh, seven, probably as close to seven and a half months in teaching about God, his existence. And so for four months now, we've been talking, teaching on Jesus Christ, who he is. Uh, <clears throat> so last week, we resumed our studies on Jesus Christ, who he is. Specifically, we looked at the meaning of kenosis. That is, the question was asked, did Jesus Christ really empty himself? The answer is that nowhere in the Bible does it support what we call the kenosis hypothesis or theory, and that is that Jesus Christ, uh, when he made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the role of a servant in being born found fashion. Uh, as a man, he humbled himself uh, to death, even death on the cross. Uh, but the fact that he humbled himself uh, does not in any way imply uh, that he emptied himself of some of his attributes. To empty himself of some of his attributes would mean that Jesus Christ ceased to be God, and that's not something I can I can handle because I don't see God ever forgetting um, emptying himself and not becoming and not remaining God. So then, if it's not supported by the Bible, then he did not empty himself. That is the conclusion uh, that we came to, that I came to, uh, because he is God and his attributes are immutable uh, and he does not, uh, it doesn't make sense for him to become less than who he is. And we also began looking at the resurrection power of God as demonstrated in his raising of Christ from the dead. Now, we also understand that Jesus himself possesses this attribute, and that is the power to raise uh, a person from the dead. And we look at that attribute um, in, as uh, omnipotence, meaning that he is all-powerful. But tonight, we're going to continue our teaching on the attributes of uh, Jesus Christ, uh, well, actually, on the authority of Jesus Christ, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, uh, as demonstrated uh, in his in the Bible here. Now, our passage of scripture that we were teaching from is John chapter five, verses uh, nineteen through twenty-one. So, if you have that, 
Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to read, actually, from the 17th verse down to the 21st verse. So if you have your Bibles, join me, if you will. Um, <clears throat> but Jesus answered them, My Father worketh here, hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Last week we began talking about, um, we, we actually continued talking about the imminence of God. Because you hear so often that uh, God created the world and then he just took off. He just started sleeping and, you know, and, and, and going to uh, the Bahamas and just chilling and doing all those things. And yet, uh, and so and he left America, left the world to, its, to fend for itself, to take care of itself. And, of course, there's nowhere in the Bible that uh, we will find that God is actually no longer involved in his creation. Uh, quite the contrary. Uh, as I began my studies, I, I began seeing more and more how, how active God really is in his creation. So <clears throat> we started talking last week about the imminence of God and the activity of his son. So we're told here in this chapter that uh, our Lord, um, by our Lord, that he is the imitator of God, of the God of creation. So the son can do nothing, he said, of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For what things soever he, meaning God, doeth, these also doeth the son, Jesus Christ, likewise. And, and of course, when we think about the imminence of God, we're talking about God's work, and God is still at work in his creation. Luke chapter 5, I mean, John chapter 5, verse 17, and also uh, John chapter uh, 5, verse 19, uh, says this in relation to uh, the imminence of God as, as direct evidence that God is involved in his creation. Here's what it says. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. And then verse 19, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he, he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. So we see in this, these two verses alone, that God is actively involved in his creation. So often we, we don't think that way of God. We don't think that God is still at work because we go back to Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2 and we see that when God, on the seventh day, that God rested from all his works. Well, yeah, God rested from all his works, meaning that he had nothing more to do. He had done everything that he set out to do. But that doesn't mean that God became so tired that he had to sit down uh, as Jesus did when he was physically tired 
uh, and at the well in, in uh, Samaria, in John chapter 4, because God does not have a physical body. So when we speak of the eminence of God, we are declaring that God is actively at work in his creation. When God rested, as I said on the seventh day, he did not rest in a physical sense because his fatigue is impossible for God. Instead, I believe that we, I believe we are to understand that statement as God having completed, as I stated earlier, all creative work and thus nothing remained to be done from the creative aspect of his divine plan. God was at work in the earth with miracles and still is with healings, with the raising of the dead and giving sight to the blind, forgiving sin, revealing himself to all who would listen. And listen, Jesus Christ in the earth did exactly that. Uh, And so when we think about Jesus Christ, we know that one name that God gave him, Isaiah, I refer to him as Emmanuel, meaning God with us or God among us. So we know that uh, in order for Jesus Christ to do the miracles that he did, he had to be God. So watching the only other person that we know of that raised a child from an individual from the dead was, I believe, Elijah. Uh, and so... Uh, I'll check that out, so please forgive me if I'm, if I'm in error. Either Elijah or Elisha, one of the two. Uh, so, so seeing Jesus uh, in, is the same as looking at God, albeit in human form. He is, the scripture says, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. He, meaning Jesus Christ, is the brightness of his, meaning God's glory, and is the express image of his, meaning God's person who is the image of the invisible God, who, meaning Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. You'll find that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3a, and Colossians chapter 1, verse 15a. So by watching Jesus Christ at work, is seeing God at work. There is no difference in the truest sense. And as, and as the church is the body of Christ, we must do as commanded by the head, even Christ. When people see the church, they must see Jesus Christ at work, and seeing Jesus Christ at work, they must see God at work in his creation because you cannot see Jesus Christ and not see God. So how can this be, you might ask? Well, Jesus chose disciples, equipped them, and appointed them according to his divine purpose for their lives. And he, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to be to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, or to and from, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Mm, I love this causes growth of the body to the edifying of itself in love. 
So, <clears throat> we are to imitate Christ in every to every conceivable way, and when we do that, we demonstrate God at work in His creation. Listen, every person that Paul, that Jesus, that John named, the apostles, every every person John named, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, is required to submit to God's will in Christ as purpose for each of them. By this, by their obedient submission, they will do the work of the ministry of Christ. Doing the work of the ministry of Christ reflects the eminence of God at work in his creation. No matter how you look at it, when you look at Scripture, it is impossible for you not to see that God is actively involved in his creation. And God being involved in his creation means that Jesus Christ is, is involved in his creation because Jesus Christ is the Logos, the living word. <clears throat> so you and I stand in proxy for Christ. In other words, Christ in this physical person is not here any longer, but he lives inside of us. And because he lives inside of us, we represent him. That is, we are Christ's representatives in the earth. Therefore, when people see us, there must not be any distinction between the, between the work of Christ and the work of the church, period. Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't care what you say or think about or do to me. My accomplishments are not mine own, but his who sent me. Therefore, I will keep on doing what I'm doing until I've completed all that I've been sent here to do. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. And that's exactly what the church is required to do. You as a church, we as a church, cannot get hung up on people's opinions and thoughts about what the church should be and what the church should do. Follow the word of God and follow God in prayer. Follow Christ in prayer. Follow Christ uh, in all things as Jesus himself did. Listen, listen, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ did what he saw the Father do. Jesus Christ heard what he, he spoke, what he saw the Father speak. There's no, there was no, he, he did not do anything else. He simply he simply obeyed the Father. Not, now, he was God and in, incarnate, uh, but he was submitted to God because he stepped down from his position, uh, but that does not mean that he abrogated or did away with or gave up his, his attributes at all. He was not canonic in, in nature. Uh, he was simply God in human flesh. So he, when he humbled himself, that means he stepped down from glory to assume humanity in order that he might walk around humanity and reveal the Father to those who would listen to him. So, um, and so that's what we must do as a church. We cannot get hung up on the opinions of other people. We cannot get bogged down uh, by the ignorance of the world. We are here to be a light to the world. That's why I love what Jesus did. And so on this, and so, and on this I will state one final observation, because Jesus and God are one and the same. 
and I'm recapping some of what we talked about last week. Well, I didn't finish it, so I want to try and finish it tonight as we move forward. Uh, you'll see up there on the board uh, what we'll be discussing on tonight. So I'm going to – so I want to keep on going, doing what I've been doing, and I'm doing until I – I was what Jesus said, until, I, until everything that I was called to do has been done. And so – that was Jesus' mindset, and that's what our mindset must be. My Father works, he said in John chapter 5, verse 17, and I work. Therefore, we're talking about the eminence of God in the earth. Therefore, we know that God is at work in the earth. So in short, and, so, uh, and on this, let me just state this right here. Because Jesus and God were one and the same, there is no need for Jesus to try to outshine God or set up a separate throne because more and more people were coming to him. And, and I was mentioning this last, last Thursday when we met. Um, as a church, we must always be humble. I don't care how many people come in. We must be humble. Why? Because it is not because of us that people come to church. It is not because of us that people are saved. It is because of the Spirit of God operating in us to draw people to himself, and he uses us to do that. But we don't have a heaven to put anybody in. We have not died on the cross or shed one drop of blood uh, so that we can win a soul because Jesus Christ is the only one through whom that was possible and remains that to date. No man, Jesus said in John chapter 14, come to the Father except through me. That is the only way. I don't care who you are. And, in fact, Paul tells us in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that, you know, there's no other name given unto heaven whereby men must be saved. It is the name of Jesus Christ, and that's it. And so, <clears throat> and so the church cannot get caught up in the opinions of others. The church's successes are not indications of the greatness of the church but of the greatness of, the, of God's grace at work through Christ. When the church is submitted to Christ, it becomes not just the body of Christ, it becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. When, uh, I love that. So, so when the church submits to Christ by its obedience to the Holy Spirit, it will grow. Why, you might ask? Because the meat, the will, the substance of the word of God is being spiritually and relevantly served to those who come and sit at the table of life. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'd rather be sitting at the table of life than floating around in the pit of hell. And I want to talk about, in, in this passage, another key observation that I make, uh, in these in these verses here between uh, John uh, chapter five verses nineteen and twenty one is that um, we have an irrefutable reason uh, for why we exist and why the eminence of God is and nearly and, and let me give you an example of that nearly every father taught his son the family business back in the day you know, there used to be we used to have uh, much like um, the, the Jewish people, there was an agrarian society. They lived off the land. They fished. They did all manner of things. And they hunted so that they could survive. And so fathers taught their sons how to do those things. So in his humanity, Jesus was a carpenter. 
He was a carpenter. He learned this trade of carpentry from his earthly stepfather, uh, Joseph, who himself was a carpenter. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, and Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Every Jew, even the rabbis, the priests, if you will, learned some handicraft. Paul was a tent maker, Acts chapter 18, verse 3. Peter and his brother Andrew were fishermen. So was John and his brother. Uh, and, and Matthew was a tax collector. So we see that even though God called them, they still had their occupation. So many people today don't want to work because uh, they figure that, you know, it's, you know, it's just going to drop out of the sky. Well, it isn't. Well, you say, well, Pastor, you're not working. But no, I'm not working. I'm a full-time, I'm a full-time uh, graduate student, and I'm a full-time pastor. Uh, and I retired after 35 years of active honorable service to the United States Navy. So I don't, so my wife works, I, and so we, we're, we're doing okay. We're not, we're not screaming yet. <laughs> well, the point is I have worked from the time I was about five or seven, and I started out picking fruits. Uh, oranges and grapefruits and uh, lemons and that kind of stuff, tangerines, and and then I then I then I ended up picking cotton, which I hated. And then another thing that we did was we set traps in the woods in Georgia of Georgia, and we caught raccoons and we caught opossums and we caught rabbits and the occasional quail or something, and we cleaned and gutted those and we ate them. We cooked them, and my aunt did, and we ate them. Uh, and you know what? It killed the hunger pain. So never say what you won't eat. And then, of course, we did a lot of fishing. So much like the, much much like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and all those were actually Peter and his brother uh, uh, Andrew and and uh, John and his brother uh, who was his brother who was John's brother. I tell you what. Bible lessons. You guys look that up and get back to me on that. But anyway, it was much is not much different. I when I grew up, it was not much different than 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 the way they did. I did a lot of fishing. We did a lot of trapping. Um, we did a lot of planting. Uh, we 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 did a, we planted a lot of corn. We planted a lot of beans. You know, we we had chickens, and you know, you know, we plowed fields. We drove tractors. Of course, they had plows back there behind mules or what have you. But the bottom line is, when I was coming up, there was not much difference uh, in what, how we made our living than the way that they made their living way back in the day. We were an agrarian family uh, for the time that I was living with my aunt and, and, and her husband. So everybody, the point is, everybody worked. I don't care how old you were, you worked. Uh, and, and they learned a trade. So... All right. Uh, executive Master, you blurted it out there, boy. All right. <laughs> yeah, I thought she was on her, in her own zone there. So the word, so Jesus began the 20th verse with the word for. If you take a look at that, that 20 words, he says for. And that word for uh, presents us with a reason or 
uh, it states a fact which is calculated to make this vision of the Father's activity, um, I say apprehensible, but I also say, in other words, make it understandable, make it simple for you to understand to get a hold of. And he made this uh, Father's activity uh, apprehensible or understandable to his hearers. Why is it important to make something understandable? Because if a person doesn't have an understanding of what you're saying, then, then you have not done what you have set out to do, and that is to explain to them how thus and so works. So the Father, Jesus says, loveth the Son. Not only does this tell us of the reason for Jesus being able to do all that he did, but it also shows us the inseparable relationship between him and the Father. You see, that's the way the church has to be with Christ. When Again, when you see Christ, when you see the church at work, you see Christ at work. There should be no inseparable, there should be no, no, no distinct uh, separation between the two because we are the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We are the body. And when we flow according to the instructions of the head, we are doing the will of the Father. Therefore, we demonstrate the activity of the Father in the earth. So there's so many ways when you look at this. The eminence of God is still moving. He's still here. He's still active in the earth. And, and I, loved, I loved that with all my heart. So here, so he refers to himself as the son. This is what I love about Jesus. He says, I'm the son. And the, this love between the father and the son is in the father's revelation of his desires and intentions for mankind. How so, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus Christ, came into the world. That's how he, and he revealed God to us. And, and so we know God's intentions because he says he's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. So Jesus Christ says, I came not for the sick, I mean the, the healthy or the, well, the healthy, but for the sick. Because why? What does it mean? He says the, he says the, the healthy don't need a physician, it's the people that are sick. They need the position. And so Jesus come into the world to reveal to mankind the intentions of the Father towards him. I don't want you to perish. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I, God so loved the world that I died on the cross that you might have the opportunity to have eternal life. And I'm going to get into some other things here in, in just a little bit as we move forward. But I've, I've talked about the irrefutable reason, uh, and that is... Uh, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he did what he saw the Father do. And, and so we look at this as Jesus Christ being able uh, to do whatever the Father does without limitations. Why? Because he and the Father are one. Uh, and then let's take a look at the Father's revelation to his Son. Now we pick this thing apart here. And notice what Jesus says, and showeth him all that himself doeth, and he will show greater works than these that they may marvel. Now, when I read that statement, I see two things. I see a present revelation, and I see a future revelation. The present revelation is simply this. 
and he and showeth him all things that himself doeth. That's the present revelation. In that present revelation, I can say that it is a present um, a, a present revelation, and that is a present future revelation. But we'll just deal with it this way. We'll deal with the present part. Jesus tells us that the Father revealed the things he did, signifying that he too can do likewise in the earth. We say, well, Jesus Christ traveled a lot, and he, and he was all about doing the work of the Father. Not once did he think about himself. All he thought about was the purpose for which he came into the earth. He had the best way that I know to describe it. He's the Lion of Judah, right? We know if we watch these uh, big cat uh, uh, documentaries, we see when they go out hunting, how focused they are on the prey. They're focused on their prey. They, they're focused on, on because they want to eat. They want to survive. They focus on that, and they're able to live or die based on their ability to stay focused and their ability to move quickly in order to capture a meal. We have to... We have to uh, do likewise. We have to, uh, for the work of the ministry, we have to stay focused. Jesus stayed focused in the earth. He knew what his work, his purpose was, and he fulfilled it. The problem with many of us is that we don't know what our purpose is. And because we, if we knew what our purpose is, then we would focus on accomplishing and, and you know, becoming the best we can be at our purpose, we would. I'm assuming we would. For for us in the military, we know what our jobs are. And we stay in our books. We practice. We put hands on. We, we practice. We do all of that stuff so that, so that it becomes second nature to us. So when we have to do something, we instinctively know where we have to go. We know if there's a fire, we know what we have to put on. If we, you know, if there's a, if there's, if we're at war, we know what we have to put on. We know that if we are hit, we know what we have to do. If we have a weak section in our ship, we know what we have to do. We have to shore it up. We have to know what kind of shoring to use in order to strengthen um, a portion of the of, of our bulkhead, as we call it. You call it, we call it a wall in our house, but of our bulkhead so that it doesn't collapse on us and we'll be able to continue to focus and do our thing. We know what we have to do, so we make sure that we flow accordingly. A musician, uh, musicians know how to play, uh, and they know that the piano knows, the pianist knows his cue or her cue, the guitarist knows his cue, the oboe, the, the flute, and whoever else, they all know their, their, their cue. And when they master their instrument, they become the masters, and so they are sought out, and when they play, the people listen because there's a unity and a harmony there that is that when because they work together, that it just it's perfect harmony. It's beautiful. I mean, how many how many records do you uh, do you think will get get published uh, if it was all disjointed and all messed up? None, would they? Mm-mm. It is. It is that harmony. They know what they're supposed to do, and they're excellent at what they do. Jesus knew what his purpose was, and he was focused on doing that. If we knew what our purpose is, we would, we would do those things necessary to, 
to, to perfect that purpose and to do that purpose with all our hearts. So the Bible is the present revelation to mankind. If we go to the Bible, we find out who we are. That's the present revelation. So look at it this like this. You may read the word of God and your mind be filled with understanding of that particular passage uh, for that particular passage for that particular time in your life. But there is more to that which you have read and received revelation knowledge for. See, what you have gained was that little bit that you were capable of understanding at that particular time. But as you grow and mature, you learn that the reality is that you've just received a, a diminutive or very small piece or a brief glimpse into the knowledge wherein contains so much more when compared to the greater knowledge yet to be known, to make known to you. So God takes us through step, precept upon precept, line upon line. You can't give a child everything at once and expect them to remember it all. You can't. It has to be done in bits and pieces, bits and pieces. And it's the same with all of us. We have we can't just have everything crammed on us at one time. Everybody's throwing everything at us. I know that you have these these computers, these uh, movies, and you get the Matrix, and, and, and they, you get all that information going, and they just they just you know demonstrating and all that stuff, faking it, right? And you go, oh man, that's so wow, man, that's so man, that's so great. But literally, they're not getting all of that information. So we're not computers. We are human beings, so we cannot take it all in at one time because that's too much. You talk about system overload, that's a system overload. So God reveals in portions suitable for us to handle, uh, and we must understand that. So, so, to, so when we start to grow in greater knowledge and understanding, then that means we require to have more dedication and commitment uh, and the humble obedience of daily reading, prayer, meditation, and application of the word to our lives. Um, yes, Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 is, is a very good uh, point here, and I thank God for it, uh, because... When you when you when you understand God is pretty clear on this, how do I grow and how do I get stronger in the Word of God? Joshua chapter one verse eight says, "But the he said this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein." For and then here and then here's the result. But then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And then verse 9, he says, now have, I, now have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Then verse 10, then Joshua commanded his officers and told them what they needed to do. So listen, just that's a lesson right there in itself. How do you grow and mature in your faith? By holding on to the word of God, by staying in it daily, meditating on it, not letting it leave your life for one moment. But 
if you get caught up, like so many of us do, uh, in, you know, the, the, the stuff on the periphery, that stuff that really we think that captures our attention, that really uh, means something, it really doesn't mean anything. Why? Because as Peter said in John chapter 6, verse 63 or something, verse it said, in John chapter 6, verse, hang in there with me, um, uh, 68, Simon Peter said this in John chapter 6, verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered the Lord and said, uh, and, and, and so he said, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. See, our life, our life's blood, our lifeline, our very life is in the pages of the word of God. It is present revelation to us if we would just take the opportunity to read it and really devote ourselves to it. Dedication. Dedication. We dedicate ourselves. We commit ourselves. We humble ourselves in obedience daily to the daily reading, to prayer and meditation and in the application of the word of life um, to the word of life to our lives. Listen. I know what it's like to feel like you're odd and strange and peculiar when you're around people who are talking about all manner of things. Uh, you know, they're going to go out, they're going to club, and they're going to party, and you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to do this and they're going to do that, and you you feel like, oh man, I don't do any of that stuff. Something wrong with me? No, nothing's wrong with you. If you if you are a Christian. Something is right with you because you are supposed to be peculiar. You're supposed to be different. You're not supposed to be like the world. And that's where some of us meet our downfall. That's where we begin to have problems because, see, we begin to compare ourselves with the world. And then the other thing is when we start to do well in the ministry, we start comparing ourselves against other ministries. We start comparing ourselves against these parishioners or this pastor or that pastor or whomever. And that's a mistake as well because Paul says that's not a wise Christian. That's not wise. That's stupid. That's foolish. We're not, you know, we didn't do any of that which we, where we are now, what we have accomplished uh, for the kingdom of God is not by our own efforts. God uses us. Yeah, we get tired, but God uses us for his purpose, and that is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to teach the word of God, uh, to, to strengthen people. Uh, and in where they should go, how they should live their lives. And then, of course, the future revelation is simply this. Jesus said, uh, and he will show greater works than these. So if he's going to show greater works than these, then that means he hasn't shown them yet, which means that the future he's going to show them greater works than these and that you may marvel. And so when we think about future revelation, Jesus, is, Jesus not only told us a present revelation, but he continues by declaring that there is more to be revealed by the Father to the Son. I love it. And he will show, the, will show greater works than these. Both the present and the past revelations speak to the imminence of God. That means the active God is actively involved in his creation. He's at work in his creation or in the earth. So the work of God does not cease, but it is ongoing and perpetual. 
There's never an end to it. It is constantly, God is constantly moving, constantly doing things. Jesus, Jesus didn't commission uh, the 12 in, in Matthew chapter 10 and then in Luke chapter 11 or 10, I think it was 10, where he commissioned the 72. He did not just commission them to go out one time, but he commissioned them that they should go and do great works to, to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, to declare the Father to everyone by declaring his Son. There is no ceasing. That's why he gave some prophets, apostles and prophets and, and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Every one of those five offices knows what they are. He called them prophets. They have to speak. He called them evangelists. I mean, apostles and pro- apostles, they have to speak. He called them prophets. They have to speak. He called them evangelists. They have to speak. He called them pastors and teachers. They are speaking. They have to proclaim. They have to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no exception. See, everything that God does has a created has a purpose. Every assignment, every position that God gives, there is a requirement associated with that position, and that requirement is work. And when you work in obedience to the word of God because you have submitted yourself to God, then you are demonst- God is being demonstrated as actively working in the earth. Why? Because you are at work doing the will of God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So you submit to the Spirit of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You do what the Spirit leads you to do, and you're okay. That's God at work in the earth. So in either way you look at it, there's no way you can say that God is not active in the earth and truly believe that unless you're just downright ignorant of who God is. That's just that simple. So, uh, so Jesus, and so the work of God does not cease, but is ongoing and perpetual. Now, here's what he says, and here's what I mean by that. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the world, the word of reconciliation. Listen, the fact that he was at work in Christ reconciling us to himself tells you that God is imminent in the world. Now, I love it. So that was that was Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eighteen and nineteen. So what our Lord means here is by greater works, mm, uh, by greater works uh, that transcends just the physical work, but rather that the mightier works will take place in the believer's thoughts and life. So. Using this last passage of scripture here where I want to highlight the eminence of God uh, a bit further. And, and I, because I, I love this word reconcile because I want to deal with that a little bit. So can we deal with the word reconcile? Okay, so we're dealing with the word reconcile. And this is on the future revelation. Paul uses the word reconcile, reconciliation and reconciling. Now, the word reconcile reveals a process initiated by God in Christ. That process is this. 
To reconcile means to change. Ah, don't miss this now. Uh, This change is easily seen when you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 24. So you have your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 24. You think, wow, this is good. And this is where Jesus is speaking. He's talking about the, he's teaching on the Beatitudes. Here's what Jesus says. He says, leave there. I tell you what, let's go up to verse 23. Let's just deal with that. Verse 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother has aught or anything against thee, verse 24, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer your gift. There is an order. Now, this process here is simply this. If you have angered your brother by doing something, by something you did, and Jesus doesn't specify whether the action uh, causing your brother's anger was intentional or unintentional. It doesn't seem to matter even though your brother might be content in his anger, not seeking to resolve the matter. And that's what he's talking about, verse 23. That brother has fought against you. And then you must go to him and try to resolve the matter. That's what you have to do. You can't just hold on to it. You have to go and try to resolve the matter. And now, (laughs) uh, you apologize to him or her for the wrong you did them. If, if he accepts your apology, then you have won your brother over and the anger has been resolved or satisfied. So if you note the process was two-sided, the cause and effect of your actions and the recipient of your wrong. So you caused the problem by what you did and your brother was offended by it. Now, in order for you to reconcile this, you have to get up off of your hunches and go to him or her and say, look, I thought about this. I am so sorry. Please forgive me for what I did. I know I spoke harshly, and I know I can't take those words back, but I'm sorry. I truly am. I don't know how I can make it up to you. I really am. I do am. Seriously, I'm so sorry for what I did to you, what I said to you. Uh, And... You know, the mature thing would be to say, okay, well, uh, you really did hurt my feelings. I mean, you really did this and you really did that, but okay, I I accept your apology. Thank you for apologizing, and, you know, and I accept your apology. And then you move on. Now you can go back because now you've made it right with your brother. Now you can go back to the altar and you can offer your gift to God, and it is acceptable because why? You followed the word of God. You made it right. So your conscience is clear. You everything that you needed to do, you have done. So uh, you got to love this. And so if you know the process, I said the two sides of cause and effect, by going to your brother and apologizing, your relationship with your brother has been restored. How so? Because by your apology, you caused the anger to be appeased or satisfied. And so he no longer has that anger. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. I knew we were going somewhere with it. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. What do you mean? Well, two things at least 
took place when Jesus died on the cross for you and I. First, he paid the penalty that is the highest price he could anyone could ever pay for the wrongs he himself is not guilty of committing. See, when, when Jesus died for us, paid the penalty for us, he wasn't guilty of anything. He became the punishment for us. I, I don't understand that. I, I just, you know, outside of the absolute love of God for us, there is no way in the world I would go and pay for somebody else's crime. I wouldn't, and, and much less give up my whole life for somebody else, except my wife. And my, you know, I'm defending my wife. Uh, but you know, you know, so it, it just doesn't make sense to me. But that's what Jesus did. He was not guilty of anything. I don't know if you guys really just sat down and thought about this thing. He paid the price, uh, which is something that no one else could ever do. And he did it having been innocent himself. For our sins, as he was without sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 2, 21 says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, this payment, This payment is oftentimes referred to as propitiation. The very act of propitiation is a demonstration of God's unsearchable and inexhaustive love. And because of his inexhaustive love, we might we benefit from his grace. Uh, instead of God lowering the boom on us, wiping us off the face of the earth, he has grace. He graces us by having mercy on us. Uh, and I tell you, that is sweet. That is sweet. I, and I, and I just, I, I'm just in awe of God. So what this means to you and I is that God never changes even though I define reconcile as to change. Well, I mean, so change in reference to God simply means that those who through Jesus Christ are forgiven of their sins removes the wall of petition that once separated us, that tore the veil from the top to the bottom, from between, you know, that separated the holy of holies from the world, from us Gentiles, uh, and or the chasm that separated us from God. You remember the chasm, right? That is when Abraham, when, the, when Lazarus was in the arms of Abraham and the rich man was was suffering in hell, he looked across the chasm and he saw Abraham uh, holding his, um, Lazarus and he asked for Lazarus to just go and put his finger in a cold water, just drop it on his tongue. And Abraham said, no, 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 my good friend. You, you enjoyed your life when you had it. And he, he's here now. So there's a chasm uh, uh, that separated us from God. And by Christ's death on the cross, 
and our acceptance of Christ, we are that, that chasm, that wall of petition, that separation between God and man does not have to be any longer. That's where propitiation comes in. Jesus Christ satisfied the anger of God. And by, um, and by dying for our sin, paying the penalty for our sins, that frees us. And that's where that change comes in at, uh, because now we have open access to God, uh, and that's the fullness of God's love for us. That's the fullness of God's love. It is clear that the grace of God is at work in the earth because we're still walking around. People that are out there murdering, they're out there. They're out there living their life however they see fit to do it. And, and, but the grace of God, and God's grace is a patience grace uh, because, see, he allows you so much freedom to come to yourself. Uh, and realize that the life that you're living or the life that you're planning to live that is separate and apart from him, the life where you can't wait to get out of your parents' house. I know, I've been there. The life where you say, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to party and I'm going to do whatever I want and then nobody has to tell me nothing. God allows the grace, uh, that patient grace, to continue in your life for a season. And then the boom comes. And then all of a sudden you start breaking down. I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know why this is going on. I don't know. Yeah, see, you had the opportunity. See, you were living large. Like the children of Israel, God kept sending prophet after prophet saying, look, don't do this. Stop doing this. It's wrong. Ah, we're going to live however we want to live. And so they lost their kingdom. They lost their kingdom. So some people, you can't tell them anything. They have to learn the hard way. You, you tell them that if they do this, these are the consequences. Yeah, I'm grown. You don't, have to, you don't tell me what to do. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I want to do. All right, fine, do it. See, you can't live life willy-nilly sending everything you have, giving all your, you know, burning the candle at both ends. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden when stuff starts to hit the fan, you start breaking down, oh, I don't know what happened. You know what happened. You, you decided you were, you were grown. That's what happened. You became grown and you lived life however you saw fit to live life. And now you're, you're suffering the consequences of your ignorance or your, your, your deliberate refusal to listen, I love it. I love it. Uh, I love it. I won't say anything else. Uh, so, the propitiation means uh, the removal that the removal the barriers have been rem- the barriers that were built up by our sins between us and God have been removed, causing the deluge of God's love is love to just flood down on us. So. Now, where we used to get a little bit of his love, uh, because he loves his creation, now we get the fullness of his love. You know, we gain access to all that belongs to the Father. And we gain that access through Jesus Christ. We don't gain that access by anything that we did good. We gain it by our relationship with Christ. Uh, and, And so we must understand that. So 
Uh, propitiation means that the barriers built up by our sins between God and us, causing the deluge of God's love to flow unhindered. And then there's a second word, and this is that word called expiation, E-X-P-I-A-T-I-O-N. Um, propitiation. Let me write this on the board real quick. Propitiation and expiation. <clears throat> now, we talked about propitiation, change. Um, and that's in reference to um, our relationship with God after we received Christ. Christ died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. Therefore, he satisfied the punishment. He paid the punishment for everything that we did wrong. And though he himself was innocent of any wrongdoing. And then expiation. See, propitiation was towards men. That's the forgiveness of our sin. He died, paid the penalty for our sin. Now, the expiation is towards God. And that's where God, in other words, um, uh, he, Jesus' death on the cross uh, satisfied or appeased the anger of God. And therefore, by this atonement work of Christ on the cross at Calvary, uh, he paid the penalty for our sins. And by paying the penalty for our sins, it took away the anger of God because Jesus Christ fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And therefore, he was able to die for us. And by dying for us, he separated, he, he took and made it possible for us now to have that relationship with God. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, and so expiation, on the other hand, which is the second thing that takes place because of Jesus' atoning death on the cross, is said to purge, to reconcile, to forgive, to pacify, to atone. Uh, to atone uh, it is atonement made or merciful or disannulled or pardoned. And so, in other words, when God, when Jesus died and he, he paid the penalty for our sins and God accepted him uh, for his for his sacrifice, he accepted him dying in our place, much like the children of Israel used the scapegoat in their days when they were coming up. But you know, they, they put the put the priest laid a hand on, took them outside of the camp, and let them go. So he bare his bore all the sins. And then, of course, when you sacrifice, you you you're offering, you're giving an offering for your sins or your guilt offering. And the priest, the high priest, went into the holy of holies once a year to pay for not to. to you know, for his sins and for the sins of the people. And so Christ died once for all, uh, and that was it. And so he satisfied the anger of God. So Jesus' death on the cross not only paid the penalty for our sins, but by his paying for the paying the penalty, he simultaneously satisfied all the requirements necessary for us to stand before God. I love it. Completely innocent of any past wrongdoing. We are completely innocent. Uh, we had a saying, and we have a saying in law: just because a person is found not guilty doesn't mean he's innocent. She's innocent. We just don't have the evidence to prove it. Well, in this particular case, when we stand before God, we are innocent. I mean, like a brand new baby just coming into the world, having never sinned, having never thought a bad thought, having never done a wrong thing. Why? Because God sees the blood of Christ covering us, and so God sees us through the, 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 the uh, through Christ's blood on the cross. Can't miss that. 
Uh, so when Paul uses the word reconcile, he is reiterating the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sake. But Paul is also saying that God is imminent in the earth. Because, see, if there was no reconciliation, if there was no forgiveness, then if God were not active in his creation, then there could be no forgiveness. There could be no reconciliation. There could be no grace extended to us. I mean, we would just have utter chaos, and people uh, would be like the people over in the Middle East that are just killing one another for no reason whatsoever, and they want to inflict afflict other people with the same kind of hatred that is on the inside of them. And if you ever want to know how a person lives, if you want to know what's on the inside of a person, look at the inside of their house. Look at the inside of their car. Look at their desks. Look at their bedrooms. If you really want to see what's going on on the inside of a person, look at their bedroom. If they have it all together, nice and neat. If they don't have it all together, it's just a reflection of what's on the inside. That's what that is. You say, oh, Lord, let me go home and make up my bed. <laughs> let me go home and clean up all my clothes. <laughs> let me go home and clean up my clothes. So, no, I'm just, uh, just throwing that out there. So, <laughs> so, and because Jesus Christ is the one through whom we became reconciled to the Father and we are servants of God, our work in the ministry also points to the active involvement of God in today's creation, in his creation today. So in sacred scripture, Jesus referred to the Savior of mankind. And as Christ, he is the anointed of God. As Emmanuel, he is God with us. Thus, Emmanuel is still operating in the earth through us who have been adopted into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. Paul next states that the God, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing his, their trespasses to them. I love it. Because, see, when Jesus Christ paid the penalty, instead of God adding our trespasses and keep, kept adding our sins against us, he did not. He took them away from us. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So this speaks to the grace of God being actively demonstrated in the earth. It also demonstrates the, the depth of his love toward his creation. No matter how much your children make you angry, no matter how much your wife makes you angry or your spouse, your husband makes you angry, that love that you have for them is not something that's easily shaken, that can just, be, just, just go away simply because they made you angry or they did something that you didn't approve of. That love is still there. It never dies. And that's the way it is with us. When, when, you know, God created us, and when we sin, his love for us never stops, never ceases. And we have to understand that. So it, is, it, is also, it also shows how much God desires to have a personal relationship with his greatest creation, you and I. That's why he made a way for us to get out of our sins and to have our sins taken away from us as opposed to remaining with us and just keeping them on. Every time we do something, there's another one he did. There's another one. Yeah, I tell you, this Charles boy, he just can't seem to get the picture. Look, look at that one. There's another one. There's another one. Oh, he just had a thought. Okay, let me put that down. Let me just put all of that on him. No. 
Thank God that he's not like that. So those who submit to the will of the Father by submitting to the will of the Son will receive a transformed life. That's another part. When you talk about change, to change, to reconcile, the change is to also um, to transform how you, to transform your life, how you think. Because once you change on the inside, and that's where change must take place, uh, a real, true change has to take place on the inside. And so we're talking about the authority of the, we, we see the power of God and the resurrection of Christ, and we're talking about also the power of Christ uh, uh, as, uh, with having the power himself to raise people from the dead and to give them life. So Christ and God are the same one. Uh, they are eminent. They have the authority, omnipotent power to do these things. So, so notwithstanding, we can also understand these precious words as, as, an, as meaning that the Holy Spirit will take that which belongs to Jesus Christ and he will reveal it to us. Scripture tells us why. So why? So that we can do what we see Christ do and say what we hear Christ say. You know, if you speak the word of God, if you live the word of God, if you speak the word of God, if you live the word of God, then you are saying what God said. And if you go out and you lay hands on somebody and you pray for them, you're doing what you saw Jesus do. If you pray for somebody, you're doing what Jesus said. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you pray for some others, then you're doing what you see the, what you see the Father, the, the Lord, doing himself. We are to be imitators of Christ, imitators, not, not um, spectators. Everybody can be a spectator. Anybody can be a spectator, but it takes uh, someone special to be imitators, to actively work and do what Christ called us to do. And that's a hard thing because you get so, you get, you know, you, you, you get tired. I know there were some times when I was coming home from work and, and we had church at New Samaritan and that long drive from where we live. And, oh, God, I just don't feel like I just, I just really don't feel like it. And, you know, once you get on that road to, to, to you know, not feeling like it, you, you don't show up. It gets easier and easier. And, that's, and, you know, and, you, and, you, and then when you go, you sit there and you go, how long is he going to talk? Oh, man, I, I, I'm so dog tired. I just got to go. I got that long drive. Man, it's just killing me. <laughs> so I, I mean, <laughs> tell the truth, shame the devil, right? <laughs> and so, I mean, I already know this stuff. Why am I here? <laughs> so we are to be imitators of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Only when we position ourselves to receive and act on what we receive with those with with whom we come into contact. Uh, can we, the church, impact their lives for Christ? Only when we do what Christ does uh, can we impact the lives of others in a positive way. Not a negative way, but in a positive way. So seeing the church imitating Christ will cause them to marvel. Remember the scripture says, and you that you may marvel. And that word marvel means to confound, to astonish, to amaze. And why? Because they will observe and acknowledge the eminence of God that it is at work in his creation. And it is at work in his creation, and it is at because it is at work through his creation. You and I, 
the church. And so, uh, and so they will come to understand that contrary to what other teachers teaches, that is that God created everything and then he left it and to fend for itself. No, God actually is at work in the earth through, the, through Christ that is in Christians. I, I tell you, I love it. Now, I wanted to talk about an illustration of greater works. And as we have 7.13, so I want to try and end this at about 7.20 or so so we can uh, maybe field questions or requests or requests for prayer. For as the Father, he said, raises up the dead and quickeneth them, I love this, even so the Son, verse 21, quickeneth whom he will. So, and this is where I wanted you to come to, come, is where I wanted to come to in addressing the resurrection power of God in Christ. Whatever Jesus saw the Father do, he too did. There is a parallel principle to be observed here. As the Father has the power to raise the dead and give them life, even so the Son has the power to raise the dead and give them life. So when we go and we pray, in the name of Jesus, be healed, we are not the healers. God is the healer. Christ is the healer. We speak the words by faith and let God do what God does. So often we want to beat ourselves up. And some people will say, well, God, well, he prayed for me or she prayed for me and, and you know, that God would do this and God hasn't done anything. Well, listen, I can't control what God does and doesn't do when God does it and when he doesn't do it. The bottom line is I believe with all my heart that when I trust God, what he says he'll do, he will do. Now, if he keeps something from me, it's for my good. And, 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 and so I can, look at, I can look at this thing and say, well, I wanted this and I wanted that. But if that would cause me great harm and even death, then by him keeping that from me, that means that he's demonstrating, he's exercising his love for me. And that means he's protecting his purpose for me, which means he wants to see me live and fulfill the purpose that he placed within me. If I'm dead, I can't fulfill my purpose. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm hung up with all the possessions that I have, and if he gives me everything I have, then I have no appreciation for anything that I have. And I have no appreciation for what he's given me. I, I have no appreciation for him because he set no boundaries. He set no examples for me. Uh, and so you cannot give, and we told our children this, we can't, we're not going to give you everything. We can't do that. You know, you can't do that. They don't understand it at the time. But when they grow older, they understand. They will understand because now they're responsible for taking care of themselves. They have to work, and now they have to manage their money that they earn from their jobs. And if they and if they really want to live in a place, a nice place, if they really want to drive a nice car, then they will manage their money properly so that they will be able to do those things. Listen, when God gives us something, it's to meet our needs. And so we get our needs and our, and our wants confused. 
But when we walk in our needs, God can do so much more. God can take us where he's purposed to take us. He can do what in, in us and through us what he has purposed to do in and through us. But when we walk and when we walk and live in our wants, we don't, we are selfish and we, all we think about is what our wants are and we don't give God a second thought. You want to fulfill your purpose, live within your needs and say, God, I trust you for my needs. I thank you for my needs. I want to walk in my needs because my needs will keep me lined up with God, but my wants will, will, will separate me from God. I, you know, I want to go to the club. I want to hang out here. Well, these girls or these guys are doing this. They're going to this house party. You know how many people die at house parties? You know how many, people, how many young girls are raped at house parties? You know how many, how many uh, young people are introduced to alcohol and drugs at, at, at party, house parties? God almighty. And you can say, oh, I'm strong, you know. Uh, no, no, no. Can a, can a man take fire in his bosom and not be burned? No. There's the bottom line, no. So we talked about this parallel um, principle uh, that God raises the dead and gives them, give them life. And so Jesus raises the dead physically and gives them life. So resurrection is not just speaking of your physical body when Jesus returns, but it can also refer to your dead, sinful thoughts being changed by your relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot be in Christ and not be changed internally. It's simply impossible. You are a wretched mess on the inside before you met him. But when he came in, he became he began to clean you out on the inside, changing you. That's that transforming, changing your, you know, your mind from a, from a worldly standpoint, a worldly view to a heavenly view, uh, and that is so powerful. So this is a spiritual, therefore, transformation of your entire life. If you would take a look back at your life before receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you would see how big a mess your life was. While you may not remember your specific thoughts, what you can do is see your thoughts by the kind of life you used to live back in the day. Today, you see where your relationship with Jesus Christ has brought you, and you marvel at the tremendous change in your life. Tell me if I'm wrong. So your life is a direct reflection of your internal change brought about by your relationship with Jesus Christ. Like you, the people in Jesus, uh, the people, the people Jesus was addressing in this passage of scripture, were blind and resolute. That is, they were unwavering enemies of the light. They couldn't stand Jesus. No matter what he did, all they wanted to do was see him do more stuff. They they looked at him as if he was a magician. Wow, ooh, ee. you know, you see, I, I watch tennis, and and I watch them going back and forth. And when somebody hit a killer shot. That, that nice angle board and just kicks up and, and, and your pony could get it. Ooh, oh, wow. Yeah, that's where they are. You know, they just want to be entertained. And Jesus is not an entertainer. Jesus is not your entertainer. He is not. He, if you're looking for him to entertain you, forget it. So they didn't believe so Whenever Christ performed the miracle in their presence, 
they would go on marveling and speculating about how he might be that work that be that one which works so heavenly works. Wait, isn't he the one that is to come? Isn't he he got to be that prophet? No, no, you know, he a prophet doesn't do this, you know. A prophet doesn't come from Nazareth. A prophet comes, the prophet's supposed to come from Bethlehem. Uh, well, see, he's not going and he's not destroying the Romans. So, no, no, this is not the guy. No, no, we got to look for another one. Mm-hmm. So, however, when you and I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others and they invite, and then they invite Jesus into their life, that they transition from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of light, mm. which, is, which is God's kingdom. So here's what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. That's who we are, a city set on a hill uh, that cannot be hid. So a true believer becomes God's light in a dark and dying world. That's what a true believer does. I uh, love it. So all you have to do is live your life according to the word of God, and you will stand out from the world around you, and that's not a bad thing. You know, um, what is it, the, what is the, um, the um, travelers, you know, the investment company travelers, when they, they, have, they have their red umbrella, they, you know, they do the commercial, they have the red umbrella, they don't mind standing out, do they? No, they want them to know that they're different from everybody else. They 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 said that we got something going on that the others don't have going on. Come to us, we are different. Or they'll sit there with the with the uh, red socks on, they cross their legs and look down at each other and say, "Yeah, that person doesn't have red socks on." And then the guy, you know, the guy you you going into an interview, the guy comes out and sees the red socks, bites you in over everybody else, and you sit there and you kick back and kick your legs up and you expose your socks and you say, "Yeah, that brother's a, that brother, that girl is a." Team player, you know that's who we want right there. He's a go getter. Got our colors on. So you know, but that's you know we have to have Christ on. We want to stand out. We don't want to. We don't want to. Um, I mean, we want to. We want to be able to blend in, but at the same time stand out. And so, in other words, we're not so we're not so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But at the same time, we cannot be so earthly minded that we become no heavenly good. So there has to be that balance. We must never forget who you are. I had a, um, I had an officer one time, uh, was a captain, and he said, uh, a subordinate never forget their subordinate, and a superior never forget their superior. And as long as, as, long as you remember who you are, you can intermingle with other people, but you have to not lose yourself in order to become like somebody else. Don't do that. So this, too, shows the active work of God through Christ um, in the world. We don't go clubbing. We don't go fussing and fighting. We don't go cussing. We don't go, you know, doing this and flying off at the handle at the drop of a hat and all of that stuff. We don't do that. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when you do get upset and that you're just human. But that's not a, that's not a norm. That, that, that's, a, that's an exception. That's not the norm. That's an exception. So there is no doubt that God is at work in his creation. Now, how much time do we have? 24. Let me get one more minute here. And now, last week I talked about I wanted to get back to dealing with the last two attributes of Jesus Christ, that is his eternity and his immutability. 
we have to do that next week. It's 724 now, and I want to get out of here on time. I don't want to hold anybody beyond um, that time. If there's somebody on the call who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of their sin, God is ready right now to turn your situation around. If you're looking for a church home and you're living in the, the Plata area, we'd love to have you become a part of the ministry, uh, Jesus Christ Ministries Global. We meet on Sunday morning at 1030 at 6860 uh, Crane Highway in La Plata, Maryland, 20646. Uh, and that's the Holiday Inn Express. It's right across from the Charles County Sheriff's Department. Uh, we'd love to have you join us. Uh, and, you know, we, we're excited about the Lord, and, you know, you're, you're welcome to join us. I, I'm all about teaching the Word of God, and, and uh, I love it, actually. I love to do that. So I look forward to you joining us. If you're a backslider, you once had a relationship with Jesus Christ, but somehow you fell out of a relationship with him, um, you can return to Jesus Christ right now because he says he is married to the backslider, so return to me. Uh, and he will receive you back. Remember, you walked away from him. He never walked away from you because he said he would never leave you nor forsake you in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. But you and I are the ones then who would turn and walk away from him. He will never walk away from us. And then, of course, um, in any of these, and if you're in need of prayer, if you need prayer, please, uh, we're, we're a church that believes in prayer, and we're a church that prays on a daily basis. So we'd love to pray for you if you have any, any prayer requests. Uh, in any of these areas, uh, we, we welcome you. Feel free to talk, whoever you are, whoever's on the call. Hey. Mm-hmm. Praise our brother. All right. Yes, both yes, please. Yes, both of them. Yes, both my brothers. Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you this this evening for allowing us to come to meet here on tonight. We ask now, Lord, as we enter your presence, as we lift up before you uh, the uh, the mooring sons. We ask, the Lord God, that you will move in their lives, that you will open their eyes and allow them to see uh, and to understand, Lord God, their actions. And we ask, the Lord God, that you will, you will touch their hearts in a way, Lord God, that they will repent of their, their activities and, um, and that all will be, they will not only repent, Lord God, that they will withdraw whatever actions that they are taking and the things that they're doing, Lord God, and the words that they're speaking and, and, uh, and, Lord God, um, restore things uh, according to your will uh, to do them, Lord God. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. We also pray for families, Lord God, uh, that you will move mightily in the lives of families, our young, our young people, Lord God, and our elderly people, and those who are orphaned, Lord God, and those who are homeless. We ask, for Lord God, that you will meet every one of their needs as well. Take them out of the cold, Lord God. Give them food to eat, clothes to wear, shoes to put on their feet, cold coats, Lord God, suitable, Lord God, to accommodate them and to keep them safe and warm in this weather that we're having. We also thank you, Lord God, for safe travel home for those who are present here on tonight and those who may have joined us by our talk show. We ask, Lord God, that you will keep them. And we pray that the word that you have spoken unto us tonight will impact us in a positive way for going forth and moving uh, to do your will in this earth. 
We pray for all of our, our youth, Lord God, who are in school and they have SOLs in, in Virginia or um, uh, Maryland State um, exams here uh, in, in in Maryland, Lord God, that you will help them, Lord God, to be patient, to be, to be um, I know, to be even-tempered, to, to not be nervous, Lord God, to, but to, uh, to have peace within their hearts, Lord God, and clarity in their minds. And as they read, Lord God, the questions that they will, they will bring to their remembrance, Lord God, what, you have, what they have learned, and help them apply that knowledge, Lord God, in answering the questions that are set before them. We do thank you, Father, for every member of Jesus Christ Ministries Global. We pray you for their health, for their safety, their well-being, their financial safe security, as well as their home security, God, that you will guide them safely as they travel home on tonight. Let no harm come to them. Let your forehead of protection be around their home. Your warrant angels have charge over them and in their home. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So are there any are there any other uh, prayer requests or oh by the ways? Any comments about tonight? Okay, we're good to go then. I hope you guys learned something tonight. I hope I wasn't too boring. No, you were not. You gave us a lot of scriptures to go over. Yes, and like I always say, you know, um, one of the things that I'd like for you to do is anytime that um, I go and search the scriptures, take a look at the scriptures and make sure that, uh, you know, you understand them. Search them. That's what we're here to do. So, thank you. Love you guys. Uh, you want to do a benediction? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.